Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. Yes, welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast and following on last week from the interview that we did with Eddie McGeeky from Seaforth Analytics where we dove into a lot of different areas of how analytics can enrich your business and your strategy and tell you the right things that you need to be asking of your suppliers. We're going to dig in today into the specifics of data with my guest on the show for this episode. So data is, while it's not a standalone software solution in its own right to to drive digital transformation, it really is the cornerstone of any digital procurement service or software implementation, because if you put rubbish in, you get rubbish out. So without further ado, welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, Susan Walsh, also known as the classification guru. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on, Susan. We've uh, we've spoken a few times and we actually got to meet last month for the first time, which was always it good was to put a name to her face. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, I think we're both sort of singing from the same hymn sheet here where we see data as being the enabler and the driver and that good data drives good decisions and what gets what gets measured gets managed and all of these lovely cliches that you that, that, that you have out there about data. Yeah. So, so let's start off. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into doing what you do now, because from what I understand, you're not a procurement professional from a from a from your background. I'm not, and I'm also not a data professional. Um, I completely fell into this by accident. Um, I spent uh, the first part of my career working in FMCG sales. So I was doing account management, national account management. um, And I thought that's what I wanted to do. But then I realized after a few years that actually I didn't enjoy it. And and it it was only what I thought I should be doing rather than what I did enjoy. But I also didn't know what I enjoyed or, or what I wanted to do. So I thought it would be a really good idea to start up uh, my own business. So I decided to open a women's clothes shop in Guildford. And okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, as you do. You this will be a good story know. of how we got from women's clothes shop to data, but okay, yeah. we'll keep going. <laughs> so it was at a time when um, things in the office were changing from uh, suits and shirts and blouses to more smart casual wear. And it was before the internet really took off. So. So, you know, it was a great idea. I had some fantastic clothes, a beautiful shop, um, did some market research before I opened. But what I couldn't have anticipated was the fact that people in Guildford are brand snobs. So because I wasn't a high-end recognized brand, people just wouldn't come into the shop. Mm. Um, so I managed for about seven months, I think, eight months um, with the shop. And then at that point, I'd racked up so much personal and business debt. I just couldn't go on any further. So I just needed a job and I had to just get anything I could. And I went on Gumtree and found an ad for some data entry, data classification work. Um, and it happened to be for a spend analytics company in Guildford. And, and that's where it all really started. And 
from from the very beginning, I just took to it like a duck to water, really. It, it became uh, very natural for me. I really enjoyed it. I think because I'd had a business background, it was very easy for me to classify data into to what things were because I understood why a business would be buying something and what it was for. Um, and I spent five great years with them. Um, as the business grew, so did my responsibilities. I managed a team of uh, 14 home-based uh, people that classified data. I managed all the projects. Um, and I was really happy. And then at a point, it, I just felt that I'd gone as far as I could go. Um, but also because I hadn't come from the procurement world, I didn't have any procurement connections. Um, I didn't know where else I could get a similar job to what, what I was doing. So I thought rather than just um, do this exactly the same thing again, I had noticed an opportunity to offer a purely data service. So just classification of data, not the, the analytics and the dashboards, you know, which people were buying yeah tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds you know everyone focuses on the software and the dashboards but actually like you said like it all starts with the data um and i just thought there must be companies out there who don't want that dashboard they must have in-house teams so that that's when it started and that was nearly three years ago um and it's it's been one hell of a journey since then it's you know, nobody was talking about data quality when I started. It's only really been in the last year or so that people are really starting to um, uh, talk about it and resonate with what I'm saying. And, and even the data world is, has really engaged with what I've been saying as well, which is great. You know, it's, it's good to know that, you know, something that I'm really passionate about is, is also an issue for other people too. Um, so, so that's yeah. kind of how I got to where I am. <laughs> That's a really interesting story, actually. I can assure you that, when was it now? About nine years ago, I was ranting about data, but I was ranting about data in my office, in my production yeah. facility where I was working in a corporate job. So I think, yeah, you're, you're right, that it's it's probably been the elephant in the room for a lot longer. But but yeah, you're right. People are only just starting to talking about, uh, talking about it now that are in in the media or the um or, or the or the or it's only it's only just getting now it's visibility that it needs to i guess so yeah, but i i was just going to say that actually a lot of it is to do with the fact that data to a lot of people is intimidating it's boring it's not exciting um and and the way that i'm trying to engage with people is on a really basic level so that anybody can understand what we're talking about um, and understand how they contribute to the whole of a data set and their impact that it has. And, and it's really about making it engaging and, and a bit fun, if you, if, if you can. Yeah, <laughs> making data fun is a challenge, but we'll try. Okay, yeah. so uh, taking what you said, Susan, about just going back to basics and making anyone able to understand this. I mean, if someone's listening to this that's not a sort of senior level procurement person or category manager, I guess for anyone in the procurement space, I guess we look at data in two different key areas and that is the vendor master and the material master. Mm -hmm. And the vendor master data is a potential banana skin because it, it, well, it, it screws up your spend analysis if you have duplicate vendors or, yes. or perhaps you're not successfully linking all divisions of a company to the parent, but that's something yeah. that, 
maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of like a one-time fix. And yes, you have to keep monitoring it because new vendors get added, but it's less of a moving target than the other part, which is the material master. And material master data it is a continuously moving target. And then what's more, you also then have the issue on top that you have spend being miscategorized. Some of the spend doesn't even have a material number, so it's a free text purchase order, which kind of means you're at the mercy of whoever's raising a purchase requisition of what they describe their good or service to be. So, I mean, if you're going into a company that's literally done nothing to manage their data in the past, um, or maybe they're trying to harmonize data across different organizations, maybe a private equity company, for example, that has a portfolio of small businesses, how would you approach this at the very offset? If you if you got if you got called in to look at something that had, had never done any strategic work on data. So I have I've done that for my own clients. So um, yeah, it's um, if if there's a number of different companies or divisions, you know, you want to look at the data as one whole set. Um, and the reason that that's really important is you want consistency. Now I appreciate that you may have different teams in different countries or divisions that talk in different terms or categorize, classify their data in different ways, and they don't want to change. Um, That is also not a problem. You can map each division and category up to a master overview. So you can have like a master taxonomy that you categorize all your data to. But at at the divisional country level, they're still working as they always have. Um, Because I think the biggest issue is uh, engagement from data users. Um, So by looking at everything as a whole, you get the full picture, you can ensure consistency within your classification. And before you even start classification, the first thing I do is supplier normalization, which we spoke about. So I see a lot of things like IBM, IW.M, IBM Inc, IBM Limited, same for PwC, 7-Eleven in the States. Um, it's, there's supposed to be processes in place in these organizations, but they're, but it's not basically. So by doing that, the first thing I'm doing is giving the client a true picture of how much they're spending with each supplier, which is the most important thing. But secondly, it makes classification for me a lot easier because then you actually end up uh, having to do less work because there's fewer suppliers. Um, And again, it's all about consistency so that when you are making uh, decisions, especially with global data, you know it's the right information. So we've gone from then you've gone into the client and and at the and at the first stage they don't know what they're spending nor that nor do they know whom they're spending it with. So yeah. the first thing that you do is you make it visible to them who they're spending their money with, you know, but you you can you remove or or harmonize any duplicate uh, duplications. So now we've got to a point that they know who they're buying from but they probably don't know what they're buying. So exactly. what would you do then as the next step? So this is when it can vary hugely. So I have worked with clients that don't have that information. They only have a supplier name. That doesn't matter. It can still be classified to one or two levels. 
Um, and, and the example that I've just given you, that client then discovered that globally they have a thousand consultants. So they're working to rationalize that list now. So it, it really doesn't matter if you don't have a lot of information. You can still get some really valuable insights from the data. Um, but obviously, the, the more detail you have, the more invoice description, the better it will be. So you could range from just saying office supplies to detailing out the pen model, the rulers, the staplers, the staples. It can go to that level of detail. And the taxonomy and the, the way you classify it will very much depend on the level of detail that the client has. And also, I guess the level of detail that the client wants. I mean, if they if they just wanna if they just wanna organize it into material groups, I guess that's the most basic form. But then, if they want to understand at a a very detailed technical level in their engineering stores and, and break it down as part of their stores management process, that that's also an option, I guess. So you you have a set sort of logical way that you approach the problem but you don't have a one-size-fits-all solution I guess is a, a fair description that's of that. right but I would yeah. also say that if if you have the detail in the data but you only need um top level information classify it from the outset with the detail you don't have to use it because if you decide that further down the line you do want the detail, you will then have to pay someone to do that whole exercise again. So and, yeah, and and typically if if you go in and perform an assignment and do what you've what you've just described, would you then typically go back in after a year and do a and do a refresh or, or do a follow up or or is it normally a once it's done it's done and they and they don't call you in again? Some some just are one off projects, but I I strongly strongly recommend uh, data ma- uh, maintenance. And um, when you were talking about materials master, things changing all the time, you know people can accidentally delete or edit, overwrite things. So by maintaining, and it should be on minimum monthly or quarterly basis. Um, yeah, and that and that kind of ch- uh, that kind of chimes with. Uh, I'm not sure if you listen, but Philip Eidson, the host of the Art of Procurement yes. podcast, had a data guy on a few weeks back, and uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I will link to it in the show notes. And shout out to Phil if you're listening to this. Great job on your podcast. Um, but he was he was kind of saying the same thing. He recommended, you know, on a, it, it has to be a rolling activity in everyone's. Yeah objectives and if you're not doing it at least sort of once or twice a year then you're going to quickly be in trouble yeah and it really does depend on the volume of data if you if you're a smaller business and you don't have a a massive volume of data once or twice a year is fine you're a massive global company with loads of different uh, moving parts then yeah month monthly quarterly is, is really the way you should go i think any more frequent than monthly and the cost time benefit becomes becomes less or or actually you're you're spending too much time um, and who has the time that's the other thing you know it's always the thing that get that's put to the bottom of the, the list when it comes to priorities <laughs> yeah that's definitely true i mean I, that kind of leads on nicely to the the next question i was going to ask and that is often procurement professionals don't realize that they have a problem until they have a problem, until something rears its head, you know, if they've, uh, if a supplier goes bankrupt, or if a bank account's been changed, and a supplier's been put on stop be- uh, because of, because of unpaid invoices, or you know, loads of other examples as well, uh-huh. what can procurement teams do proactively 
in terms of good data governance and and I'll, I'll add the proviso there i guess it depends on maybe you can give an example of a larger business as well as sort of an sme manufacturing company it's, it's about maintenance um and and everybody understanding their part in managing the data so you might have someone who's an administrator who sits in a corner and it's it's their responsibility to update that information but they don't understand the importance or the consequences of what happens when they don't. So they might be busy with something else or, you know, depending on how um, dedicated they are, maybe they just can't be bothered to do it today. Um, but that, that has a massive impact further down the line in terms of other people making decisions. So for me, it's about getting everybody involved and, and, and letting everybody see, kind of trace a path as to, to the, what, what they do and where it ends up. Because it's the same with um, reporting and dashboards and analytics. Someone uh, further down the organization does something or doesn't do something, but that ripples right throughout the chain, right up to the top level, when eventually someone could be making a decision made from that bad decision. And I think whether that's a large organization or a small one, in fact, it's probably even more important in a small one. It's really it's really critical for people to know and understand their roles. Yeah, and I, and in a small organization as well, the impact can be so much can be so much quicker and so much greater because generally small companies can make decisions faster. So if the data that they've cleaned suddenly then tells them something it's a lot easier in a smaller business to formulate and then hire someone like me to execute their strategy yeah. um, than it is in a larger company where they have to push loads of paper and get loads of stakeholders on board and aligned before they can uh, before they can execute a strategy yeah so, and on the sorry on the flip sorry. side it, in a smaller business if they make a bad decision based on that data financially the consequences could be a lot more devastating to that business than a larger one they might not be able to absorb the cost so much exactly so it's not only what could be the potential saving but but what could be it's it's almost as well a cost avoidance question of yeah. if you if you if if through your poor data you have an adverse event that that's caused as a direct result of you not having up to date data that in terms of direct or even indirect and consequential losses, if you stop production for a couple of days, uh, can have a massive impact. Yeah. So, I mean, I think everyone would be on the same page in terms of they see the benefits of having clean data. I don't think anyone would say, I don't care if I have shitty data in my organization. Yeah. But I think the, the key question is, how would you then, if, if you were in front of a CFO that said, yeah, this is great, but it's kind of a nice to have and we don't have the budget to do it at the moment, what would be your argument to, to, to convince him or her that it's worth spending X amount of money on, on, on you or any other service that offers something similar to, to go in and do a, a, a basic data cleaning package? Yeah, and this is my biggest challenge. And it's not a cost, it's an investment. And it, and it really is an investment. Um, if you have correct data, um, you will save time. Your team will save time. You can make better decisions. If you are implementing new software, then it's more likely to work because you have the right data. If you have 
bad data, people don't use it because they don't trust it. If you implement a new system, people will not trust the system because they think it's wrong. Um, and, it, you know, you could spend a significant amount of money implementing a new system, but if the users don't have faith and belief in it, then then you've wasted all that money. And, and it's the bit that gets forgotten the most is nobody, or not, not nobody, but very few people think about prepping their data before implementing a new system. They just put whatever's there into the new system and that's when they discover that there's a lot of errors and then you have further costs to fix it. You know, your team spend a huge amount of time on it um, also, things like it could take your team weeks, months even to do a job, but by using a professional, um, it can be done in, in days or, or weeks, you know, so there's a huge time saving there as well. And if you're a smaller business, you know, what is the value of your time versus paying someone else to do it, which is something that, you know, I think about myself when I try to look at outsourcing jobs as well, you know, is it more cost effective for me to give that to someone else than spend my time doing it? And that's a, that's a very, very good point that often gets forgotten in, in the corporate world. But if you calculate from, from your from if if you're listening to this from a large organization and you're a category manager or maybe a a cpo have a think about what are you paying your procurement employees your category managers and what would be their effective hourly rate and is their hourly rate better paid to do what procurement people should be doing or or is it on on cleaning data i mean i use the same argument i always used to complain to my boss back in the corporate world of you know why why do i why do i have to book my own travel and file my own expenses it's yeah why why are you paying me my salary to do the work of a you know 15 pound an hour administrative assistant it's true um and it's not just that so so what you'll find is it's left to the the team to do it and then more important urgent things will come in so then it gets moved further down the pile that data continues to build up being wrong more decisions are made on that wrong data and then it just spirals out of control. Because one of the problems I find is that nobody owns data in an organization. It's not yeah. procurement procurement have the have the fallout of having to work with bad data, but part of the issue is that nobody owns it. Accounts don't own it, stores don't own it, um, operations don't own it. So from your yeah. experience, is the one specific place where the data tends to fall down? No, and the thing is, uh, we need to understand that we are all responsible for the data. It's not um, it's not one person's job to manage the data. It, it's everybody's. Um, I, I'm seeing a huge uh, change in in departments within certain uh, organisations where they now have almost effectively a data BI. Um, department. So they have teams of analysts um, building dashboards, um, cleansing the data. Um, so there, there's definitely a move towards that, but it not everywhere is at that stage. And, and I think a lot of the time it is it just gets passed from department to department to department. Yeah. Nobody wants to take ownership or responsibility of it, and then nobody wants to pay for it to get fixed either. 
And and where you're seeing those departments or, or teams of of data analysts building building these dashboards, do they do they mostly report to procurement or to finance? Or where where from your experience do they sit in an organization? And and I guess the second part to that question would be as as an expert in this field, where where do you think they should report into? I would say that it shouldn't necessarily be procurement's responsibility because there are other people within the organization who also need that data and manage it. Um, or there are CDOs as well. And I think increasingly they're becoming, uh, uh, getting uh, kind of set up within organizations. And I think, yeah, you know, maybe it should literally be the chief data officer who's responsible for everything. So GDPR, um, all the all the cleansing, maintenance, analytics, um, and then also there's it, it's impartial. So you know procurement working with data will have a bias towards procurement type data. Finance will want more finance type data, um, whereas a, a standalone data department is there for the good of the data, not for the good of anyone else. That's a really good answer, actually. Yeah, you're right, because, um, I mean, one of my biggest bugbears in in my career was that a lot of the root cause of poor material master data was because the stores person either wasn't trained properly or just didn't have the incentive or saw the advantage of maintaining good data. And if that person reports into operations, then the operations guy who needs a part and, and the reason it's not being delivered is because the data is rubbish doesn't doesn't see that as being the root cause he just marches to the procurement person's office in the in the site and uh, and get and, and gets them to quick smart get parts as quickly as you can um yeah. if someone if someone completely independently in the organization has the overarching responsibility for the whole data set within the company not just master data vendor master data but everything yeah yeah i think that does make sense and there's less chance of people fudging the numbers as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> because because the data you know to a data person the data is the data it doesn't matter what the numbers are as long as they're accurate whereas finance or procurement or sales and marketing might want to tweak things a little bit to make it look better you know there's a lot of creative accounting going on um whereas it would be yeah the 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 data guardians are just there to to be the, the truth, the single source of the data, as uh, Scott Taylor says. I guess my final question, Susan, is if anyone wants to find out more about you or to hop on a call with you to understand how you could help them, where's the best place for them to find you? So they can get all that information from my website, which is a bit of a, a long one. It's uh, www.theclassificationguru.com. You can book appointments with me on there. You can uh, see some videos, some information. Um, but then also, if you want to find me, I'm also on LinkedIn. If you type in The Classification Guru, you will definitely find me. There's only one of me. I've got to warn you, if you connect with Susan on LinkedIn, <laughs> she'll always ask you about to put to put the word data or procurement into song titles or film <laughs> <Yes>. titles. <laughs> and I You've think we, warned. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, people really love that. They they really do get on board and join in. It's, it's good fun. You know, we can try and make it a bit more fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
thank you for thank you again for coming on really interesting conversation and lots of nuggets there in terms of data doesn't necessarily have to be complicated nor does it have to be a really costly solution with an army of consultants to get you where you need to be you know as a means to an end if you're implementing digital procurement transformation or if you're trying to gather different data points from different parts of the organization that are perhaps using different ERP systems. So thanks again, Susan, all the best and yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. So I hope that's given everyone plenty of food for thought of what they should be doing with their data before they embark on their digital transformation journey. Thanks again to Susan for coming on the show. Great guest, great conversation. And we'll be back again next week with another episode. Before we go, just a quick call to action from my side. I would really appreciate if you'd follow the ProcureTech podcast page on LinkedIn. That way we can reach more people organically on LinkedIn and make more folks out there in the procurement and finance space aware of what we're doing with our message to drive digital transformation across our function. Take care, everyone. Chat to you again next week. Thanks for listening and all the best. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast. If you like the show, then please subscribe or even better, why not write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts? It would not only really make my day, but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation.